you for your grace. I want to thank you for mercy. I want to thank you for the for the stir that you got going on here at Sandbank Road. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to stir us on uh, to the good works that you've already laid out for us. Lord, that you would give us eyes that see and, uh, and ears that hear and a heart that just senses where you're moving. Lord, I pray even for this, this new position that we've created, Lord, that your blessing would be upon it, that your blessing would be upon the person who's considering it or whoever that you would have in mind for this, God, that uh, this would be a, th- this would honor you uh, because we want to do well uh, in this community and we want to be good stewards of the blessings that you've given us in this community and we want to be good stewards of the people that you've brought here, Lord. So I ask your hand in all of this, God, This morning, as we look into your word, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So the last few weeks, we've been going through, we've been preparing for Easter, Resurrection Sunday, and we've kind of been working through Lent, this time of preparation. And a couple weeks ago, we, we started off in... Well, I started off, Jeff took the first week and and he kind of introduced Lent, but I started off in the Gospel of Mark and we kind of looked at the cross. That's where the text brought us to, the cross. And and Jesus' words were about denying ourselves. Jesus' words were about, hey, do you like my shirt? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Consignment shop, $7.20. And it's a Tommy Bahama. I have no idea what that means, but that sounds cool, doesn't it? I mean, I digress. So Jesus, he says, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. He talked about losing our life so we can actually gain life, so we, can, we could uh, have an authentic life. And this is what the cross actually pulls us to. It moves us into this, this uh, harmony that we would no longer focus on me, on I, but we would start to focus on Christ. We would center our lives on the gospel. And we would start to just kind of get rid of those things that distract us, that kind of pull us away from Jesus. And then last week we looked in 1 Corinthians, and again we landed back on the cross in 1 Corinthians. And we said that the cross, it was a turning point in history. Things changed for all time, for the better. Things changed when Jesus died on that cross. Sin would no longer hold this world hostage because Jesus overcame it and he would overcome death. And so everything has changed. But you see, in our own humanistic wisdom and reason and rationale, there's a problem with the cross Because it's really something that's very foolish. It's ridiculous. It doesn't make sense that the Messiah of the world would have to die on a cross as a common criminal. In fact, it makes so little sense that people have opted for something better. People decided that, you know, I need to create me a God that kind of fits into the way I do things and and create a plan that kind of fits my life. It makes things nice. It makes things neat. I'm not not challenged too much, but there's a little challenge in there. And and I can just move along in the way that I really hope to move along. And, and, And they create a God who... 
they believe is going to look out for their best interests, or at least what they believe their best interests are. And then maybe this God that they've created, right? Maybe, maybe he can show a little power, show a little cool, you know, do a little cool something, something every once in a while just to say, whoa, there's God, man, and he did this for me, you know? And so we, we create this thing and we push the triune, true creator of the universe out of the center of our lives. And we make something that's man-made because it's the cross. For those who are perishing, it doesn't make sense. It's hard to get our minds around it. At the end of last week, we asked a few questions, which I hope you took the time to wrestle with a little bit. I hope that you're not just going through Lent, la, 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 that you're actually spending some time wrestling with your faith and your relationship with Christ. And we asked the question, where has your journey with God become just very comfortable, very well-managed, you're just kind of moving through the motions. There's no boats that are rocking. There's no real storms on the horizon. Because I would argue if you're there in your faith, your faith may not be based upon Jesus Christ. What do you do with a God that's out of control? You can't control him. Then we asked a couple more questions. We said, what have you replaced him with at the center of your life? What if you kind of just pushed him out with and you plopped it in there and he said, this is much more comfortable for me. This makes sense. And where are you relying on your power, your own power and your own wisdom to move through life, especially, especially in your faith journey? So those are the questions I kind of left you with. And I'm hoping that you spent a little time wrestling with them. If not, that was called a review. Okay, and you could take that and use them again. Added to this week. So now you have makeup work to do. You see, if you just get her done in the week that I lay it out there, then life will be much easier for you. So let's go on. This week, I think we're going to look at the cross again because this is where the lectionary goes, but not necessarily the cross to cross. It's kind of what, what does it mean for us? And this might be a big time review to some of you. To others, you need to hear this again because you've forgotten it. And maybe to some of you, this is brand new, and that's okay too. And we're going we're gonna to jump around a little bit this week. We're going to land in John for a little while. I'm going to mention Romans, and then we're going to check out a story in Luke, and then we're going to head back to John, and then we're going to tie this whole thing up with a passage from the message in Ephesians. And hopefully it all makes sense at the end, all right? So let us pray. John, go. Go back. Go back. Go back, Wes. Oh, did I? Oh, gonna go again. You do it, Wes. Oh, stay right there. Nobody move. John 3, 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This, this little two verses right here. See, we like the verse that comes before that. For God so loved the world. We, we put that on coffee cups and t-shirts and cards and stuff. But this one, this one we kind of wrestle with a little bit because, because it uses words like 
condemned. And we don't like that. We don't like condemned. And so it's not a popular verse to kind of land on. But John wants to make sure that we understand it. So let's take some time so that we understand it. Jesus has come into the world to bring salvation to the world. He has come to save it, not to condemn it, but to save the world. And, and here's, here's where it starts to get a little, little unpopular in our culture. For those who believe in him, for those who believe who Jesus is, who Jesus said he is, those people are not condemned. Those people are justified. Those people have been forgiven. For those who believe in Jesus, they have been justified. But for those who don't, there's, there's a tension that comes in. There come, becomes, there's a problem. For those who don't, they stand condemned. And you see here, it's, it's not necessarily Jesus that's pointing a finger and he's condemning people. It's what people believe or choose not to believe. That condemns them. And so those who believe will stand justified, but those who do not believe will stand condemned. You see, our how we fare in the final judgment of all things depends upon what we believe about Jesus Christ. When we stand before God, how we have believed in Christ or what we have believed about him makes all of the difference in the world. And so what's taking place here is is Jesus and the cross, and there's this sin in the world, and he dies on the cross, an atoning death. He's paying a price. He's paying a price for the things that we have done wrong. And through that atonement, people who believe in, in him are justified. Justification. Now, you may be asking yourselves, What is this word justification you speak of, Dennis? I'm glad that you continually ask me good questions because we are going to talk a little bit about the idea of justification. Now, um, it's, it's this big theological word that we like to throw around in Christian circles and in Christian conversations. The book of Romans is, or the letter to the Romans, is an amazing uh, study of the idea of justification, but it's not a light read. It's, it's not an easy read. And if you don't want to read it, just wait another 14 years because we're going to start that sermon series here uh, when I turn 60. And so you can wait that. If you can wait that long, fine. If not, you can start reading it now. But for me, I need to keep things a little simple. I like simple because I'm a, I'm a simple guy. Not to be confused with a simple tin. I am just a simple guy who likes to keep things simple. Justification is the mercy of God in action. Justification is the mercy of God in action, declaring people right before him. And it, and it draws from the imagery of like a, a court trial going on. Somebody who's, who's been let go. The charges have been dropped. Um, the crime has been wiped away. Or if we want to use Christian terms, the sin has been forgiven. Or the sin has been just, just no, you're not guilty of that. And through Jesus Christ, there is our justification. But now we have to understand, we, you in some sense, me, we're broken people. 
Did I hear a laugh? We're broken people. We have issues. We have sin has come into the world and just messed things up. And so left to ourselves, we have this desire to live outside of the rhythms and the harmonies that God has created for us. The entire creation is suffering from sin, from this brokenness. We no longer, without Jesus, left to ourselves, we no longer understand or know the peace or the shalom or the completeness of God. And justification is about God giving us his son so that he begins to fix all of creation. He begins to put it back all together, that everything becomes or walks back into harmony and rhythm with him. That's, that's his heart. That's why he gave us Jesus. And once again, because of Christ, we, common folk, can become God-focused people. Because of Jesus, we can become, we can become um, other-focused people. We can become gospel-focused people. We can love God. We can actually love ourselves. And we can love other people. You see, I think even as Christians, we do pretty good with loving God. I think we do okay with loving other people. But man, there's a lot of people that have a problem loving themselves. But this is part of the justification and the atonement and the sanctification and all of the stuff that Jesus has given us. And and, and he, Christ gets right to the cross, willingly goes to the cross, suffers and dies and comes out the other side of that victorious. And because of that victory, we have this deep river of grace that anyone can just step into. And that's by believing in what he's done. Now, the other side of the coin, because there's always two sides of the coin, there's heads and then there's tails. And I guess maybe this could be the tail side of the coin. Uh, the other side is those who do not believe in Jesus. And their, their thing is just as real as sanctification and grace and mercy and the love of God. It's as real as our justification. In fact, the, the Bible talks about it in Romans chapter 1. And it's, it's God's wrath. We don't like to use the word wrath. That's just, no, God is a loving God, yes. God is a graceful God, yes. But God is also a God of wrath. And we don't like to kind of land there because it makes us a little uneasy. Good, be uneasy because this is for real. God is a wrathful God. And now, okay, so this is the way it plays out. God creates stuff, right? And he creates us. Ta-da, here we are. But Adam and Eve, they were kind of first, right? And so they got all of this, they got this, man, he pimped out the garden for them, okay? I mean, it was looking real good, but God gave them free will. He gave them freedom to choose. He said, listen, guys, I got two things, two rules. Don't eat from that one, don't eat from that one. And what happens? We eat from the tree, and it all falls apart. And so in this sin is a consequence. And the consequence 
death. For the wages of sin are death. It's a spiritual death. That's even scarier than a physical death. Spiritual death lasts forever. We don't have a good concept of forever because we are limited. But forever is a really long time if we can put time on forever. And so God gives us freedom, but also within that freedom is this wrath. And it's God's jealous displeasure about people going their own way. And he's jealous for us. Jealous. He wants us. He wants us back. And you see, when we step out of that harmony and of that rhythm, and when we just gotta gotta go, you know what, Jesus? I don't I don't buy it. We actually live less life. We don't live the full life that he calls us to. God has this passionate concern for all of his creation, for all of his people. And he will not tolerate anything but the best for it. That is the wrath of God. God's passionate concern for his creation. And he will not tolerate anything but the best for it. Now in Romans 1, it continues to talk about they or we. We have failed to, to make God the most important thing in our lives. We have failed to even thank him for the things that he has done for us. And when we create this man-made God, this woman-made God, then it becomes the center of our life. We begin to worship that God. And we, and we just begin to worship the created things and not the creator. And you know what? And, and you know what God says? He goes, okay. If that's the way you want to do it, go ahead. I am going to allow you to answer and to live in the sinful desires of your heart. That, too, is the wrath of God. Allowing us to do whatever we want to do. Whether it's good or whether it's bad. And don't you think for a minute that when we, those people that have walked away from Christ, God's like, yeah, well, whatever, I don't care. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so God has this jealousy and this passion for everyone to know, for everyone to come, for everyone to be saved, for everyone to be justified. And then we have, so, so we walk away, we don't worship God, and we just, you know, we worship the created. And then the consequence of those things are, of that thing are envy, murder, strife, deceit, gossip, slander, arrogance. And oh, I love this one. Disobeying your parents. Disobeying your parents is in the same list as murder. Children. <laughs> Sorry. You see, the murder isn't the sin. The, the, the disobeying of your parents isn't the sin. The gossip and the deceit, that's not the sin. It's the consequence of the sin. The sin is we have replaced God as number one in our life. And the consequence of replacing God with something else are those things. And God's wrath, as it says in Romans 1.18, is being revealed. It's continually being revealed because he's continually telling people, okay, if you really want to choose, I mean, I've got something so much better for you, but, but okay, if that's the way you want to go. 
those who believe in Christ have been justified, which is the expression of God's grace and love and mercy, the desire of God to be in the right relationship with all of the creation, the desire of God to be in right relationship with each one of us, each person on the earth God desires to be in a relationship with. And it's only com- it only comes by faith alone. It only comes by believing, which destroys any idea of you being having it all together, any idea of you being self-important, any idea that you got this, you can handle this. Justification by faith shatters any control that you might think you have over your own destiny. It, it, it shatters human pretense. It shatters self-assurance. It shatters your arrogance. It shatters your boasting. It just all goes away. God does not accept important people. God does not accept powerful people. God does not accept religious people. Through Jesus Christ, God accepts the sinner, the broken. That's who he calls. Let me show you a story in the Gospel of Luke that points this out. This is Luke 19, or 18, I'm sorry. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I love this story because I think we, we take this story out of the context and what I believe that Jesus spoke it to or shared it with. Because the Pharisee always gets the bad rap. He always gets the bad rap. We always put our nose up at him and look at how arrogant he is. I don't want to be like, but, but, but let's, let's, let's just break this down a little bit. So two men went up, all right? The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. He doesn't get all showy. He doesn't, he's not around a bunch of people saying, God, thank you. Anybody listen? Okay, God, thank you that, you know, he's not trying to look cool in front of other people. He goes by himself and he prays to God. This is a prayer between him and his creator. And he thanks God. He thanks God that he has protected him, that he has pulled him out of the way that some people live. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers. He's actually recognizing that God's, God is active in his life. And he's thanking him. Who knows where this Pharisee would have ended up if God did not get involved in his life. And he's recognizing that. Does that sound like an arrogant prayer to thank God? I mean, I can't imagine where I would be if God did not get a hold of me in my life. I mean, I can, I can uh, make a statistical assumption that, and, and say that it wouldn't be in a good place right now. But there's been many times I have thanked God for saving me from that thing, that lifestyle. That I still have friends that are in that thing, in that lifestyle. And he has brought me out of it. Does that sound like an arrogant prayer? Does that sound pompous? This guy is recognizing the activity of God in his life. Have any of you ever prayed that yourself? Thank you, God, for saving me. This guy, he's, he's, he's kind of sold out, pressing in, wanting to know his 
creator. And then look, verse 12. I don't have the numbers up here, but no, go back, go back, go back, go back. Okay, good. Hang right there. What's it say? I fast twice a week. Okay. To be a Pharisee, it was required of you to fast once a week. You had to fast weekly. Now, there were other times uh, for whatever uh, uh, festivals or whatever holy days that you would fast. But every single week, a Pharisee, it was required of him to fast. This guy fasts twice a week. This guy is not just doing what he, he should be doing. This guy is doing more. He is sacrificing more to his creator. Does that sound arrogant? He's just not doing the bare bones minimum. He's just not getting up in the morning doing his 30 minutes of, you know, uh, his, his, his quiet time devotional. And then he's off forgetting about God. The whole no, this guy is twice a week he's fasting. Anybody here fast twice a week? Anybody here fast twice a year? This guy is fasting twice a week. And then it says he gives a tenth of all he gets. He is tithing to the Lord. Now, we have to understand the Jewish culture. Some produce, some grains, some spices, you were required under Jewish law to tithe on. Bring the whole tithe to my storehouse. So there's just food in there, right? So some of those things you had to tithe on. Other things, not so much. You did not have to tithe. It was not against the law for you to keep everything of whatever it was to yourself. This guy is not splitting hairs. This guy isn't going, well, you know, I better tithe on this, but this stuff, no. He tithes on everything he gets. Everything. He recognizes that everything he has is a gift from God, and he's going to give back to God 10%. That's what the tithe is. It would be like for us. It would be like if you got a birthday present with some cha-ching in it, and you tithed on your gift. Who does that? Or, or better yet, it, it, it's, it's, it's this absurd for us. If you get your income tax check back and you tithe on your income tax check, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would you tithe on something you've already tithed on? This guy is giving back everything to God, recognizing that everything he has is from God. If that is arrogance, then may you all be arrogant and prideful. And then... Then you got this tax collector dude, right? He comes in, he stands at a distance, doesn't even look up, beats his chest. Tax collectors weren't really cool people back then. Nobody liked the tax collector. They worked for Rome. They overcharged you on your taxes. So if they, if they had to get two bucks from you, they'd charge you four and they'd take the other two and they'd pay. Nobody liked them. They didn't really have a lot of friends. And, and, and so he walks in, and he doesn't even look up. He kind of just beats his chest, and it's, it's a show of, of humility, and it's, a, it's an expression of his shame where he won't even look up to heaven. He would be considered in the social circles as a deviant. He would be able to come to Oasis, but we would make sure he wouldn't linger around the joy box for very long. That's the type of person that the tax collector would be. And he just he just... He's just very raw and he's very honest. And we can assume, and I know we shouldn't assume because 
well, we shouldn't assume, but I think we can assume in this, in this situation that he's not taking place in the spiritual disciplines that the Pharisee is. He is not taking place in the idea of, of fasting and tithing and, and, and uh, you know, just, just he's an evil, he'd be considered an evildoer. But then we come to the words of Jesus. I tell you that this man rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Okay, so wait. Let's get our mind around this. Uber spiritual guy gets spanked. An uber sinner guy goes home justified. That's what this is saying. Mr. Pharisee, who is doing more than is expected of him in the spiritual disciplines, he's like, God, Jesus is like, mm-hmm, yeah, not so much. The guy that comes in is like, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. He's the one that goes home right before God? Really? That's all it takes? If that was that easy all the time, wouldn't you think everybody would be doing it? But here's what's going on. Here's the deal. This is the gospel. The Pharisee looked for his justification in the things that he could do in the things that he could accomplish. He thought that if he did more, God would love him more. He thought that if he did more, he would be forgiven more. He thought that if he, he did more, then he would be better in the eyes and in the sight of God. You see, it doesn't quite work that way. Because the tax collector came in, and he was justified because he recognized he could not do a single thing on his own. He recognized it was all the grace and the mercy and the glory of God. He couldn't do a thing, nothing, not a zip, zilch, zero. And he went home justified. See, being made right with God is through Jesus Christ. It's not how good you are. It's not how moral you are. It doesn't matter how Christian you think you get. Uh, you are. It doesn't really even matter how much you read the Bible, how much you pray, how much you fast, how much you tithe, how much you give, how much you serve. It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ, recognizing that you cannot do a single thing to get right with God. That is what justification is all about. And do you realize the pressure that takes off of us? When Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, do you understand what he was saying? It's believing. It's believing. It's not doing. It's believing. Now, let me say this. Because of all this, the spiritual disciplines just don't get thrown out the window. You just don't, you know, la, la, la. It's not, it's not about that. Because it... We engage them. We should be engaging them, not to get right with God, not to get forgiven by God, but because, we, because through Christ we have already been made right with him. And our response, and we keep, it keeps coming back to the gospel, to the cross, our response to forgiveness and grace and mercy is to want to press in and get to know God even better. Gospel. And John is going to finish up what he has to say, or 
This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. The light has come into the world, and that light is Jesus Christ. But not everyone is going to accept it. Some people will choose to live in darkness. That means that there are some people in our world, some people that you know, because of their refusal to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, sent to save humanity, to bring us back into relationship with Christ, because they refuse to believe that, they have condemned themselves, and God will give them over to the evil in their hearts. That's, I'm not making it up, man. It's, it's, it's here. It's hard teaching. It's not one that puts the, you know, the prosperity gospel people in their in the seats, you know. But but you have to you have to look at the full counsel of what the what the Word of God teaches and preaches to us. We don't like wrath, but it's in the Bible, and you see. Here, here. Jesus follower, you now are the light of the world. You now are the light of the world. And as Jesus came and shined his light into the darkness, you too have been called to do the same thing. Not to get in good with God, not to make God proud of you. He's already, he already loves you. He's already, it's all there already. You do that in response to the gift that you have been given. Now go and share that gift with other people. The thing that you have we're called to go and, and give it away. It's not just for you. You would go and be the light of the world. I want to end with this verse in Ephesians. Now God has us where he wants us. With all the time in this world and in the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work, all we do is trust him enough to let him do it. Do you get that? Did you, did you hear that? All we do is trust him enough and let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we've done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. Did you catch that? We neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. It is through faith that you have been saved by grace. You are no longer walking in darkness, but you are the light of the world. Now let your light shine among people. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for your word this morning and the, the, the reminder of it, the simplicity of it, the, the ease of it, the grace and the mercy of it. Don't ever let us forget it. Lord, so I pray for those who have been walking with Jesus for a long time. 
that this was a good reminder for them. I pray those that were struggling because they didn't think they were good enough. Lord, I pray that you would tell them, reveal to them that they're not, that Jesus is, and because of that, they've been made right before you. Maybe, Lord, for those who are still wrestling with the whole Jesus issue, Lord, let them, Lord, I pray your spirit come upon them and just enlighten them from the inside out. Thank you for the for the gospel, for the cross. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.